Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Stages Podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oh, it's autumn. It's sweater weather. And here in the Northeast, it is also time to start preparing for the stillness of winter. Some trees change color and shed leaves and carloads of leaf peepers put on their sweaters and head to the Northeast to bathe in its beauty. But the process of leaf shedding is so much more than just a tourist attraction. When a tree sheds, it conserves energy and strength. It pulls the nutrients from each leaf and then allows that leaf to fall away to the ground. Over time, it's covered in snow and creates fertile topsoil for new life. And just like the trees, it is the perfect time of year for all of us to let the things that no longer serve us fall away. I love that image, pulling wisdom from past experiences and then letting them fall away in order to grow new dreams. But letting go isn't easy. It's a practice like everything else. And sometimes we need a little help navigating that process. And this is where BetterHelp can help. BetterHelp offers customized online therapy, either on video or live phone chat sessions. It is very affordable and you can speak to someone within 48 hours. A good therapist can really help you pull wisdom from the past and let go with kindness and courage. I highly recommend. BetterHelp has a special offer for Sage's podcast listeners. You receive 10% off your first month with BetterHelp. So many of our listeners have taken advantage of this and we thank you because when you support BetterHelp, you support Sage's podcast all while supporting your own well-being. So just for today, put on a new sweater and then I want you to close your eyes, pick one thing that you can learn and grow from, watch it change color and fall away, and then grow a new dream. Log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, slash stages, and love where you are now. Thanks, BetterHelp. Hey, everybody. Today, I am going solo. I'm going rogue. Stephanie, as you may know, has COVID, and she was not feeling well and unable to make it to today's interview. And I know she was really bummed because she loves today's guest as much as I do. So stay tuned. And Stephanie will be back in two weeks. Today's guest is a powerhouse. She's known for her wide vocal range and amazing belt. She had the reoccurring role of Catherine on the TBS and HBO series Search Party and made her Broadway debut in Head Over Heels, originating the role of Princess Pamela, for which she won the Theatre World Award in 2019. She is currently starring on Broadway as Aunt Deborah in the hilarious and uplifting show, Kimberly Akimbo at the Booth Theater. In 2022, our guest won the Lucille Lortel Award and was nominated for an Outer Critics Circle Award for her performance in this show when Kimberly Akimbo ran off Broadway. I will tell you, her performance is nothing short of brilliant. Please <laughs> welcome Bonnie Milligan. Bonnie Milligan to stage, please. Bonnie, please come to stage. Hello, hello. Oh my God. Okay, so I've seen the show twice. Yes. And uh, I saw it once in previews and then I was there on opening night. And all you do is walk out on stage and everybody starts cheering for you because you haven't even said a word. <laughs> and I leaned over to a friend and I said, she, you can tell that she's just 
been bouncing around this business for a really long time and everybody loves her and is like so rooting for you to step into this. It's really nice. (laughs) It's like, it feels like a rocket ship, you know? Yes. It feels like that from the inside as well. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. I want to talk a little about um, just how you grew up, you know, what was, yeah. I know you grew up in the Midwest um, mm-hmm. and your dad was a preacher and, but tell me a little, like, was it a house filled with music? Where did all this come from? Did you know from a really young age, you know, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, it was definitely a house of music. Um, my parents actually met when my dad was the new lead singer of a Southern gospel group, my mom was the pianist for. And uh, so growing up, they, they always sang together. My mom would play piano and they would, you know, sing and harmonize. Um, My dad also a lot of time was in um, like quartets, like Southern gospel quartets. So music was always a huge part of our life. Um, My mom gave piano lessons to a lot of my friends who would come over after school. Um, tried with me, but then it, it, we just clashed too much. So sadly I stopped taking lessons. <laughs> um, yeah. So there, there was always music. Uh, my grandparents, my, my mom's dad, my grandfather was, uh, the minister of music at church. You know, he, he led all the, um, the hymns and he picked those out. And so he played guitar, my grandparents sang together and songs, et cetera. So essentially, as soon as I could talk, I was singing in front of church and I just remember from like a very young age after singing people coming up to me, like with tears in their eyes and saying, using the word, which I didn't understand, like anointed or like, this is your calling. This is what, wow, that just was so meaningful to me. And, um, I just, you know, was singing. Um, and so my brother's a great singer too, but it was never like a passion for him as to where like it really was what I loved doing most was singing. Um, and even when my parents first were separated and, um, divorcing, they, they had some like gigs lined up that they were supposed to be at. And so I would go with each parent, I would go with my dad and we would sing two cassette tapes, or I would go with my mom and she would play and I would kind of take on the role as MC and uh, lead singer. And, um, it like from like 13 years old. So, uh, it was, uh, definitely somewhere I feel at home on stage. Uh, that's just like deep in my bones that I love to do. Do you play any instruments now or did you, I don't get past no. the piano thing. I couldn't get past the piano. <laughs> my mom, I'm, she used to like, okay, I would work, you know, she would do a little check on top of like a piece of music I needed to learn. And we could only move on after she wrote, okay. And <laughs> I was like a stubborn you little to gal. Forge, you learned to forge and, the okay. And so, yeah. <laughs> I just would like, be like, okay, I got it, mom. You know, and she would say, well, now you're going to play it and sing it at the same time. I'm like, mom. And she's like, I know too many pianists who can't do both at the same time. And like, you're going to, um, you're going to do it. And so after a while, I think it just caused a little too much friction and we didn't have the money to send me elsewhere to get lessons. Clearly she was doing it for extra cash with my friends. So it just sort of fell to the wayside, which is always a little sad for me. And then I think one year when I was in fifth grade, I played trombone. We all got to like pick an instrument. I chose the biggest one. Um, we, I don't (laughs) think we had a tuba, but, um, I had the trombone and I really liked it, but it was, um, me and three other boys. And I 
had like an affinity for it. And the teacher would say, now listen to Bonnie. And therefore um, they started to kind of pick on me about that. And so I got very self-conscious and I didn't like it. So I just decided to drop out altogether. And I remember the band teacher saying, well, can you pick something else? Like you're, you have like music, you know, like it's within you. And I just, I just was like, no, 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 I can't, I can't. Cause you know, you're 11 and it just, it's embarrassing. You don't want to be picked on. And, um, so I dropped it all sadly, but those were the, the two instruments I flirted with when you I was know, a kid. It's funny. Cause I react to the fear the same way. I, I yeah. played piano when I was a kid and my mom put me into voice lessons and the teacher wanted me, I wanted to belt. That's all I wanted to do. And she wanted me to learn how to sing properly and yeah. you know, very operatic. And, and so I ended up quitting it all because I felt like yeah. I couldn't express myself the way I want to express myself and start trying to turn me into somebody I'm not, you know? And, but in the end, I totally regret it because yes. if you build the foundations, you're just going to end up being so much better later, you know, but yeah. I, was, I was such a stubborn kid that way. And so of course, I blew it all off. And I always worry <laughs> right. that whenever I'm faced with something I'm afraid of now, even as an adult, I always yeah. check to see if I'm running away because I really don't want to do it or because there's like some underlying thing that I'm afraid of and I'm running Fair. away. From. I do it a lot with with writing. So I'll I'll find ways to distract myself so that I don't have to write what I know I should be, you know, working uh-huh. on. It's terrible. It's just awful. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about your dad? I was reading how right before Kimberly Akimbo, the audition, your dad was real ill and he passed away. Yeah. And I too, I lost my dad. It'll be 21 years in February, which <sighs> I can't even believe, but I yeah. still hear his voice clear as day all the time. You know, even the other night I woke up to the smell of his cologne and I woke up mm. my husband, I'm like, do you smell that? He's like, I totally smell that. And wow. You know, yeah. And so he's around all the time. I just know he yeah. is. So I, I do understand the feeling of what it's like to lose your dad. And I think I was around your age when, when I lost mm. him, but Let's see. I think it was mid-February. I was um, doing that one night only Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream concert. We were at Lincoln Center. And so it was just like a week of rehearsal. And it was really quick. It was a one night only thing. And uh, I was getting texts from my brother and from him. Well, have you talked to dad today? And I was like, right before lunch. And I was like, what's happening? He's like, you should call him. You should call him. And I'm like, okay. And I see missed, missed calls from dad and text. And I was like, the best way to freak somebody out while you're like, you know, I'm in a rehearsal. I can't call anybody. It's like multiple texts. Make sure you talk to him. So it was on a lunch break. I went to the TikTok diner, called him and he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I feel like what I know of that is like, it's the worst. Like they don't catch it till it's late. Um, It's a death sentence. It's bad, bad, bad. And he was very like, um, I'm not going anywhere. I have too much to do. We're going to fight this. You know, I have follow-ups. We'll find out what stage it's in, et cetera. Two and a half weeks later, I uh, heard he's in the ICU. And I was like, whoa, what? Like I'd already booked a ticket to come home. At that point, I had like some readings and I had some concerts and I had a lot of dates like booked up. And so my brother and I, uh, my brother lives in Illinois. My dad was around Detroit. We'd found a time where we could be there together. And my brother works uh, for the Army National Guard. So he has to get like high up approval from generals and stuff to get time off. Mm. I I thought, wait, hold on. I'm going to go there in two weeks. 
And I just heard about this like two and a half weeks yeah. ago. Like, what's going on? Happened too. And fast. so I was trying to figure out if I should go. So I, I called and um, I talked to his ICU nurse and I said, I have a ticket for two weeks. And I, to me, that felt so soon, you know? Yeah. yeah. Said, well, two weeks is a long time. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is really bad. So, uh, you know, I bought a ticket for two days from that moment and, uh, my brother, you know, got time off and we went and it, it, it was, it was a lot to, you know, see your parent in that much pain. Yeah. And my dad was always, uh, I get a lot of my humor from him and he was always like, uh, encouraging and, um, just like this fun guy you wanted to be around and, uh, it, just to see him in so much pain, it's just a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, over the next few weeks, it was seeing him, I had to fly back for something else. And I told this project, I just left my dad and it was really bad. And I don't know if I'm going to get a call that he's gone. And so I'm going back in a week, but I'm here for this week. And, um, I just need you to know where I'm at in case I have to leave the room or what's going on. It was really hard. You know, by the time, uh, the, the last visit up there, it was like, you know, he was, he just wanted so desperately to get out of that bed and he asked for physical therapy and he was just ready to fight it and not go down, you know, and within a week of that, he was home with hospice and, died and it was just incredibly fast and but hard. But you made it back to be with him? Oh, I was, yeah, I was blessing. around and, um, we, we couldn't have a funeral because of COVID. It had just, it was, yeah. this was March. He died March 20th, 2020. And so, you know, I had to record, record a video to be played on the, you know, bathroom floor of my mom's room and, uh, my mom's bathroom. I mean, um, and sang and just did what I, you know, I, I hoped would be okay. Like you just yeah. don't know what to do. And then the world shut down and then it was like, what's happening. And I just like a few days later, I got asked to audition for Kimberly Kimbo. My agent had reached out at the beginning of the month and asked, they're, they're going to have appointments later. Would you be interested in this? And I said, oh my gosh, of course. Yes, yes, yes. So I knew it was happening like the beginning of March, but and now- Had you heard of the show? Did you know anything about it at this point? Um, yes. And so uh, I'd read the play. I had never seen it. And, um, and I just thought this is, they had sent the play, I think, when they were announcing, we're going to have auditions sometime soon. And I read it and I, I got it. It was amazing. And I, I love- those artists. And I really wanted to work with those people. And, um, so it was days after my dad died and I said, well, no, <laughs> okay. I can't, I know I told you I wanted to go in for this project, but right now so much has just happened. Also it was originally supposed to be the summer of 2020. And so there's the other part of you. That's like, I don't think theater is going to be back within a few months. Like right. this feels weird. This feels different. Plus and, you're also um, just numb. I mean, what I remember is just being like numb. There's a brain fog and a numbness yeah. and you can't properly even attach to your emotions and feelings. So forget about oh, no. trying to channel it into a performance of any kind. Yeah. 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 So I, um, uh, my agent 
got back to me, well, can you do it in a couple of weeks? And I said, uh, sure. And then, like you just said, the brain fog, the numbness, yeah. I couldn't. And it was the first scene in the library and better was like, they wanted me to sing it to a tape. And so much of that scene to me felt like pacing and, um, you know, barely anybody gets a word in in that first scene. So to me that she's on a mission, she's going, and I can't be looking at a paper, like for my lines, especially on a self tape. And I'm not going to be able to hit a tempo I want, unless it's like really memorized and I'm good. And I just, I couldn't do it. And so I, I said to my agent, can you call me actually? And I was able to tell her like, you know, how hard I was struggling. And I said, I want to work with these people and I just have to hope they won't cast someone else. And if this is meant to be, it will be, it will come back to me. Um, yeah. And I said, I think if I made a tape right now, especially since they already gave me a two week extension, it would be more detrimental to me than if I gave nothing at all, mm -hmm. because I don't want to like do a lousy tape. And then people are like, Bonnie had extra an extra two weeks and kind of like what you hinted at earlier, I have been around for a while and you know, I've done plenty of readings and concerts and I feel like I've gotten to know so many people in the industry that there is a beautiful uh, belief in me, like, like a, a waiting of like, um, oh, this will be right for her. So I don't want these people who have hopefully correctly thought of me in a certain way to be let down by like what I would come through in a pinch. And they're like, wow, I really had higher hopes for Bonnie. That's she's just not our person, you know? Yeah. 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 And so I talked to my agent. I said, I want you to understand how much I want this, but I just can't. And so they talked and eventually it was like, we can, they can do two more weeks if you want. I was like, okay, uh, all right. And so I think I submitted it the first week of May. My mom was my reader. You know, I used her um, bookshelf of encyclopedias to prop up my phone. And, you know, she was, hit that. Was she a good reader or was she having She was a check great boxes? reader. Did she have check boxes? Bonnie, you didn't get this. Do it again. <laughs> she was a great, great reader. Um, she became my reader for lots of things that year. Um, and, uh, it, it was nice. It was um, such an interesting process to have my mother suddenly be a part of this life that I'm in, you know, um, the ups and the downs and the hopes and the, you know, dash dreams of it all. That she's like, this is so hard. This is so hard. I'm like, I know. Um, so to have it like the next day kind of be like, it's yours. I was like, whoa, oh. And it kind of felt fake in a lot of ways because again, everything was sh shut down. I was numb in general to a lot of feelings. And yeah. uh, and I just was like, oh, cool. If that happens, you're like, well, I guess I, I guess I have something to go back to, but it just never felt real to me because mm -hmm. there was no callback. There was no like talking with anybody actually. It was like through, you know, agents and everything. And so I thought, well, if that happens, cool. But if not, I don't know. I'd had things that I thought were so solid end up not happening. So I'm like, sure. Sure, <laughs> I will. Oh, yeah, I'll work with I'll David. Okay. All uh -huh. right. Janine Chisori, sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so it was one of those things that was this pleasant surprise when we came back. You know, it's happening. I was like, oh, oh, I do have a job. Okay, that's exciting.
would have to be a little difficult to jump right into work like that after such a big loss. Yeah. I was just so excited to be back in a room again. Yeah. That, you know, I just missed that interaction, that collaboration, that work in a room. And that's really healing to just connect with people on this wavelength. I mean, I think creativity and healing are really similar energies. So when you get in those rooms, it's, it's so, it just kind of clears out all the heavy stuff and Mm because you can't bring that in with you. So it just makes it go away and allows your body to heal. Yeah. Yeah. There was a point, I think like around week three of rehearsal, when we were still trying to really calibrate my aunt Deborah, you know, and like where she was coming from. And, um, I'm an actor who seeks connection, who, um, leads with that, who like, that's my favorite thing is like my fellow actor and it's all this so stuff. Obvious. And David and Janine have both said this and Jess Stone that they're like, you have done a different Deborah than has been in the past. And so it speaks to the beautiful collaboration of those people that, that they were open to the amount of love I wanted to bring Mm. to this kind of dicey character at times who, to me, I look at her as a survivor. I look at her as, um, you know, she's in a tough spot. She doesn't have anybody. And, um, as I said early on, I think Kim's my favorite person in the world. Cause she's the one person who like, doesn't just tolerate me who at one point just like really used to like, like being around me. And I don't know that a lot of people do. And clearly Deb is not the moral compass of the show. I want you to know. I know that, <laughs> but like, um, you know, I come from a complicated family and, um, I just feel like I know people and I've seen people that are real human beings that have done awful things mm-hmm. that don't think they're doing awful things. And it doesn't make them like evil. It just makes them really complicated to me, a little sad. So I have great compassion in looking at that approach. And I think as we were finding my Deborah that they were very open to, which was great, we had to calibrate the right amount so that it wasn't right, you know, too much or too little. And um I think for me, I started realizing I was working through, I had to, I needed help in determining what was my take on Deborah mm-hmm. and the morning sad Bonnie that lost someone in the real world yeah. that watched someone die in the last days of their life yeah. who wanted to live. And the whole show is life affirming. It's yes. about finding the joy in living, no matter how yeah. challenging that can be. Oh, it was just like, that was such a part of the process. I think it was around week three that I think a part of me was clinging to Kimberly in the way that like my heart thought back to clinging to my dad. And then you're like, oh wait, that's, that's not quite right for this. That's, that's a part of you. That's like really sad right now (laughs) that you have to like think about. So it was an interesting journey of wanting to put my stamp on something, which is connection and love through complication and making that actually true to what my take on Deborah would be versus the morning person inside of me that was seeking other, like you said, like the healing thing of like, you need to leave some things outside of the room and what was creeping in of my own journey with loss and grief and um, so it was an interesting uh, it calibration. It works yeah. for Deborah because she's experienced. She's she knows that she is about to experience that loss and grief. Yes, with the one person who kind of accepts her for who she is yeah. in the whole show. Yeah. 
And so it's, you can see where, where you can fit a piece of that in, but yeah. you can't take over. But the other thing right. that I, I love about that character is her depth. You feel her sadness and you feel her love for Kim, but you also feel her desperation for a better life. And you walked this fine line between the steamrolling and the bullying of those poor kids, but yet you make her hilarious and immensely lovable. It, it, it's not harmless because she is asking them to commit a felony, but yeah, um, there's that, <laughs> you know, but, but she does. And I think in her mind, she really has justified. Yeah, they're well, not yeah. going to get hard time. No. What? Yeah. You what's know, the problem. And I think I said that like in rehearsal, you know, off Broadway, um, I was like, they're kids. Like they're not going to get in that much trouble. And now it's a line. They're kids. <laughs> kids can't get in trouble. Are you serious? That wasn't in? <laughs> yes. No, it wasn't in off Broadway. <laughs> That like in her own way, she has really justified it. In she absolutely also knows as a part of herself, because she says, you know, like I can't go with you. Like if I'm caught, yeah. I'm going back. I'm on parole. I'm yeah. going back. So she's like, literally has factored in. You might get caught, but I'm I can't. <laughs> but you're not going to get in trouble. So it's fine. It's Don't worry about it. Toughen up. Exactly. Oh my God. It's like that bad for you. Up. You might do some community service. <laughs> Great. I'm going to prison. So. <laughs> like it's just like she's a survivor you know like oh, she's, she's got to get out of town her stakes are high where did you go to college um i went to the ohio state university right out of high school that's where you went you graduated did yeah. they have a musical theater program or they did not have a musical theater program so i went um for theater, for acting. Um, at the time when I was like, you know, I'd applied to different schools. We just couldn't uh, honestly afford other places. And so I sort of begrudgingly went <laughs> to OSU, but I ended up loving it so much. Um, the training was wonderful. Um, there was also a heavy emphasis on the new works program. And so I developed also like as a writer and a collaborator mm. and, um, that's one of the things I love the most about building new work is really being on the ground floor. And, um, that to me is so much theater, you know, do you write? Um, do you write? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the honors program at college. And so as part of the honors program to graduate, you could write a thesis, or if you were in the theater department, you could do a performance piece. You could write a one woman show. Well, a lot of people did one woman shows, but I was sort of like, we're 22 years old. Like, what do I have to say about yeah. the world? Um, that uh, I wrote a little musical. I, I found a friend who wrote um, original music and I would do lyrics and we would write things together. It was called A Girl's Gotta Eat, the musical based on <laughs> told you'll work when you're 40. And I'm like, but I'm 22. So what, yeah. what now? And it was very much like stand-up comedy meets sketch comedy meets musical. And, um, and I did that. And it was like a 45 minute show, just four characters, um, A and B, who are these two uh, chubby actresses, skinny, pretty and hot man. And then um, Piano Man was my uh, co-writer who played the keys, you know, throughout. And I did it at the end of the year. And then I got commissioned to write a second half to open up uh, 
a theater downtown. Then I, I, we toured it a couple places when we would do like panel discussions on body image and talk with like nutritionists mm. and body specialists, because there was some stuff in the show where I had different things where, you know, not all laughs, but some things that, uh, things I'd really struggled with, with, um, body dysmorphia and things like that. Yeah. And so I've been working on writing an original kind of comedic musical now to me, it feels like a movie, but, um, of my take on a holiday Hallmark movie, but <laughs> what's funny is we, st- <laughs> I never really kind of put it together, but it's, there's a lot of aunt Deborah in there <laughs> where she's kind of the anti-hero, but she's the lead who just kind of isn't great at her job. Doesn't like working, but like, it's just, you follow her journey and it's just a little ridiculous. So, um, my friend and I have been writing that. I have another friend um, that we were working on like a little fun sci-fi musical podcast of um, climate change. So there, there's like stokes in the fire that have been very set out of the fire now that I was opening a show um, that I would love to finish the holiday one by next spring. With my oh my God, friend, it sounds delight. perfect. There's a show that you were in that I really wish I could have seen, Head Over Heels. You received a lot of praise for your role of Princess Pamela. And you spoke so eloquently um, in a lot of interviews about your own experience, about breaking into the business as a young actress, that you'd been discouraged by some people because you are a unique type. You were different and you were discouraged because of that. And you had this wonderful quote, and I wanted to read it. You were speaking of the role of Princess Pamela, and you said, it wasn't a journey of how do I love myself or how do I get over the fact that my body isn't perfect. This world celebrates her, and it's not just her. It's everyone who's on stage who calls her beautiful, and that's part of the intention. If you look at old paintings when women were bigger and softer, our ideal Our ideas of beauty have changed over time. And frankly, as women have gained power in their voices, all of a sudden the ideal beauty has shrunk in size. So fascinating. How as personal power grows, they have to diminish in some way. Some way, society. That I thought was so powerful. I think um, so much of society is telling everyone what they have to be or look like or act like or who they want us to love and who they want us to, you know, be. And it's like, it's, it's a lot of pressure in so many ways. If you don't fit an ideal quote unquote norm and we keep getting told this by television, movies, magazines, um, everything. And especially as a big woman, you know, I heard you'll work when you're 40 from 20, you know, like 18 years old and you're like, okay, but I'm, but I would like to work now. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, what, so what does that mean? And, um, and so much of being an actor, you know, and it's typecasting in all ways for anybody, but especially like what I've experienced was it's like, I need something in the script to justify my existence that I can't just be. And so I can't be on a stage unless someone has makes a comment about my weight or if I've got food in my hand and it's a joke or if it's just like, oh, that friend who just can't find love, which the audience can fill in the blanks with, oh, because she's fat. And 
it's, I can't just be telling a story. You look at the world and everybody looks different and there are so many sizes. And I think, I don't know if it's still the case. They say the average American woman is a size 14. You can't even shop for a 14 in all stores. A lot of stores stop at 12. So it's like, and I'm much bigger than that, but like, it's uh, even when I was, you know, a kid, when I, when I was at my thinnest, I was a 12. And so that my whole life, I've just always been like, well, I need to be skinnier. And if I want to be an actress, oh God, I'm tired of like an adjective preceding me, you know, and the scripts I get for television or film, like there would always be something in the character description about the size. And it's like, dang, like that, that's the only reason I would be there. Okay. Okay. And so to have this show very intentionally saying a bigger woman should play this and a typical ingenue should play the sister, but that it's not spoken of on stage, but like that's speaking volumes as an audience member watching because at one, there used to be a line that she said, I think to her sister, like for beauty standard through all time defines inconstancy. Mm. And it's like, she, you, you're watching this world where this, the large woman on stage is usually going to be, you know, the sidekick is playing the most beautiful girl in the land. And everyone is saying that everyone is agreeing to that. Yeah. There's no punchline. That's just what no punchline. Yeah. And the thin sister woman. Yeah. The thin sister, she says to her, like, you're just plain. And it's, it's not even about like, you're ugly. I don't think Pamela is a mean girl. I think in her mind, she's helping her sister by saying like, but you're plain, like, don't be sad. There's no boys here for you. Context being, let me do your makeup. Let me curl your hair. Look at me. Look at you. Like, of course, everyone, let, let me help you. And so, and there's comedy in that because she's dead serious. Yeah. And you're, and as an audience, you're watching this larger woman tell this, what society is today telling us is the prettier one. Like, you should just try harder. Like, I yeah. can help. That's yeah. funny because it they're is. just like, kind of hopefully would reflect on why can't she be the pretty one? She's, they're both pretty. Can we do yeah. that? Yeah. Um, so that is what felt so groundbreaking and like meeting so many people, you know, at the stage door after and people talking like, clearly it would be anything beyond size. Even if you would look at someone who maybe society is not saying you're a 10 out of 10 right. sitting there going, I felt seen because I know you get these pressures and I get these pressures and to see someone who I think is beautiful, but the world tells me she's not being told yeah. she's beautiful is yeah. so powerful. Yeah. And so it was, it was groundbreaking. It was, um, also really important for, it was a healing journey in a lot of ways. Cause there are yep. some days, you know, I struggle with, I think we all do. Well, maybe not everybody <laughs> with like self-love and acceptance, you know, some uh, days you feel better than others. I think we all and, do. Okay. <laughs> um, maybe some crazy narcissists. No, cool, 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 cool. You do. Good you. for them. Good for um, them. <laughs> but the rest of us don't always feel at our best. And so to have to like walk on stage, and stand at zero and sing about how beautiful I am was like a beautiful experience, you know, to um, find that part of me, that part of that little girl that really who, believes uh, that who believed that she yeah. had something to offer in the Midwest. People were telling you, you know, I grew up in a double wide trailer. I, we didn't have money. We didn't have connections. You know, we were just small town, big hopes and dreams and even the people that believed in me because they thought I was so talented, it's such a crapshoot if you don't have money or you don't have parents in the business or, 
you know, connections or anything to move to New York City yeah. from cornfields mm-hmm. and hope to break in. And I just had to like pull back to that little girl who was fearless enough to say, I, well, I'm different. I'm meant to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Around college age, there's a point where I let enough of those voices creep in that you're just not really going to make it. And I love you and you're talented, but it's not going to happen. What what anchor did you have to hold on to that pulled you through all of those times where you felt like, this is ridiculous. What am I doing? You know, what am I doing here? I'm in the wrong story. You know, <laughs> Truly, the whole yeah. feeling, right? <laughs> um, what, what was the anchor? Was it the spirituality that you grew up with? Did, did you have um, some practice that you went back to to help ground yourself to say, no, no, I'm on the right path? I think it got around to, uh, there was a time and uh, I'd moved to New York and I really wasn't going for it. Like I really thought I was going to, and the few auditions I would go to, I would get typed out and didn't have an equity card, didn't have an agent. And just thinking, well, maybe it was ridiculous to think I could do this. Yeah. And, and I think um, every actor at some point feels that way, no matter what, yeah. you know, I think every young actor who goes to New York at some point is standing in that equity line at 5 a.m. out in the cold, you know, sipping their yeah. coffee, waiting to get in going, what am I doing? Have I lost my mind? You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and that there was a, there was a point where I hadn't done anything for a year which was the longest I had not performed since I started performing, even as a kid. And I thought, Oh, I'm really unhappy and this is not good. And I kind of dealt with some really rough depression. And I had a friend who worked at a restaurant with me who herself had dealt with depression for years. And she thought we had like been going to church together at the time. And there was a sliding scale payment for like counseling and stuff. And she printed out the papers and she's like, I can fill this out with you today. And I was at the point where I couldn't even do it. So I said, okay, you know, and we went through it and I got into therapy and uh, I had to work through a lot of stuff I'd never, ever dealt with kind of trying to find a love again for myself that I had kind of lost. Mm -hmm. And it became, I don't know if a part of me died and it can come back or if I should just, that was life, let that go and find new ways to fall in love with myself again. Mm. Um, Cause I had just really lost that confidence and that drive. And so. How uh, old were you at this point? Oh Lord. Um, I want to say I was 26, 27, Hmm. something like that. And going through that process and, and then a friend uh, told me about an open call for the flea theater was remounting um, a show they had done that had been like a critics pick earlier in the year. And they were going to remount it for the summer. And it was Sean Graney's these seven sicknesses, which is all of Sophocles's plays from uh, Oedipus Rex to Antigone in one evening. And it was like a four and a half hour, oh my God. huge <laughs> Greek marathon. And it was set in a hospital. So the Greek chorus were these six nurses and they added all this music to like sing in like these cathartic moments or like the deaths or, you know, Greek tragedy. When they were remounting it, they did an open call for singers to do these mm. uh, nurses. And you had to do a song and a Shakespearean monologue and my friend was like, you have to, you have to go in for this. And the night before, I think I was going to bed late. I set my alarm early for those open calls, you know, mm-hmm. and um, 
I saw, I re-looked at the audition requirements and that's when I saw Shakespearean monologue and it was like 1am. And I thought, Oh my gosh, (laughs) I haven't done that since college. And I I can't, I can't do this. Like I can't, I'm going to make a fool of myself. Like I, I can't go in there. And, um, and so I decided to turn off my alarm, not going. I'm just, I'm resigned. I can't do it. I can't do it. And again, this is the time I'm trying to build that confidence in myself. Yeah. And this is what I meant to do. And I just went back to sleep and I woke up. I was like, well, you know, I didn't wake up early. I'm sure all the slots are full. And there's just a voice that kept saying, just go, just go, just try it. You know? And I thought, oh, how stupid, whatever. And I'm trying to actively talk myself out of this. <laughs> and I went down and I walked in and I, there was one name that had been erased, the whole sheet was filled. And the one slot that was now open was for about five minutes from that moment. And oh I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> got it. Fine. <laughs> I put my name on and I was like, whatever. I signed in and I went over. I essentially like taken off my coat and moved my purse over and my name was called. And I was like, whoa. Oh, oh God. Okay. Well, it was the way and it was good because you didn't have time to panic about not having the true. monologue and all that. You just it's had true. to jump Well, because in. the night when I saw the monologue, so yeah. I had reviewed it the night yeah. before, Yeah. before I had talked myself out of it all. <laughs> and so I walked in the room and you just had to sing something acapella. And I saw one of the nurses were described as like, she's going to do more gospely stuff and more belty stuff. And okay. And they didn't have an accompanist. It was just sing acapella. And so I did his eyes on the sparrow and I gave it my best gospel go out version. Um, Cause that's what had been described as one of the nurses. And, you know, the last line is like, I know he watches me and Jim Simpson, uh, the artistic director at the time was sitting there and he just went, yes, he does. Like, oh, okay. And they're like, so now do you have your monologues? Uh, sure. Yeah. So then um, I did the monologue and, um, I don't even remember the rest of the process, but I got, I got the, got the gig. So much of the show was like networking when industry would come in, they would have us mingle. Yeah. And I just met a lot of people. That's, that's how like truly like everything started taking off. This was, um, this happened in 2012 and then through doing that show, you know, uh, David Dabin was our, uh, music supervisor. He was the one who like put all the music together and his partner. Um, still, well, now they're engaged, but, um, Andy Einhorn, Broadway, you know, music conductor, he does all of Audra McDonald's shows, yeah, yeah. um, had me do a song for an, a compilation evening. It was my first ever concert I did at Joe's pub, a Broadway person backed out last minute. And he said, well, I'm working with this girl. Can we bring her in? And Dick Scanlon was his co-writer. And so that's how I met Dick. And then the next thing I know, Dick recommends me to Michael Mayer to do a reading. And I, so I started doing all these things without an agent and without an equity card because of the connections I made at this theater that I tried to talk myself out of going to an audition because I was scared. And it was like, okay, we have to find that fearless girl that is in there somewhere. She's just a little scared right now to be in a show that really used so much of uh, my different talents and specialties that that I was seen by all these people that just was a launch launching pad. It was such a life lesson of like, when it can feel really scary. um, It's important to just sort of like buckle up and go for it. it. And I, what I've been saying lately is all of your dreams 
just live on the other side of your fears. And if oh, you just yeah. get through the fears, you can reach yeah. them. And and the fear is put there for a reason. It's not put there to stop you. It's put yeah. there so that maybe you pause, learn a few lessons like getting into therapy or whatever yeah. it is that you've got you have your it's almost like I don't I don't know if you'd call it divine, but it's like when you feel the fear and you stop and you say, what do I need to learn while I'm paused here for a minute before I step through that? Yeah. That's how I see fear now. I didn't when I was young. I, I yeah. often let it deter me from things when I was young. But now that I'm so much older and I've, you know, been through so many things that have scared me or hurt me or, you know, and you realize, oh, I can survive. I'm, I'll make it. Now yeah. I see fear as almost like a signpost, like you're going the right way, but you're pausing because there's something you have to make sure you understand before you pass through this and get to the next dream. Yeah. And now our five questions. Tell me something that you secretly hoard. I secretly hoard. Um, you know, I really, I'm a big person. Words mean a lot to me. So I have like every card ever <laughs> that's been given to me. Um, I recently went through the stack and I was like, some of the names I didn't remember anymore. And I was like, oh, I should probably toss that. Just, you know, <laughs> it's been, it's been enough time that I've forgotten that human. Um, but like, uh, that, that's something I get very sentimental and I, I definitely like hoard every, um, yeah, little card or message no, I get. Okay. Tell me a book or a play that changed you. Oh, um, well, it was a play I was in, um, a bright room called day by Tony Kushner, um, mm -hmm. which, um, I did my last year of college and it, there was so much happening in my life about like, you know, letting go of these people I had been with, like as I'm graduating school and, um, and I, I've, I've thought about it like over the years, truly of, of like, especially like looking at where we are in the world today. Um, it feels very relevant. Okay. If you were arrested and you called mm -hmm. your mom and said, you got to come pick me up at the station, bail me out. What would she assume yeah. that you've done? <laughs> um, my mom thinks pretty highly of me, which is really <laughs> sweet, but I feel like she would think that I would have had some like bleeding heart cause that I did something, you know, like to try to help someone, but that, that I probably went astray. <laughs> okay. Tell me she's one... like, you went too far this time. You went too far. <laughs> You've gone over the edge. Yeah. You lost sight of the purpose. Yeah. Tell me one irrational fear. Oh Lord. One. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can rationalize most of them. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like it can be um, irrational to um, worry that everything you're doing doesn't mean anything. Mm. Mm -hmm. I can relate you know? to that. Yeah. All right. Last question. Okay. If you were a nail polish color, what mm. color would you be? And what would the cheeky little name be? I feel like I would be, um, like a, a sparkly, like a form of a red, but like a little deeper, mm -hmm. um, between like a maroon and a red, but it would have sparkle to it. Um, and it would be like show-stopping sass. Mm, I love it. I love yeah. it. What would Deborah's be? Oh Lord. Uh, something with a, a, a felon. Uh, what's a color with an F? 
you know, <laughs> felonous melon. She would like, you know, it'd be like an orange jumpsuit, but it's like, you know, a take on that. A felonous melon. That's, that's Deb. Oh God. Thank you so much. It was so nice Thank to talk you. to you and to meet this you. Lovely. And I wish you the best, best, best of luck. Thank it's so you. exciting. And, um, and take time to take care of yourself. Stop saying yes to podcasts. I know, right? <laughs> oh, starting tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp. And I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, <laughs> why don't you give them a shot you can find a therapist that you can connect with their resource is thousands of therapists well-trained and experienced you can keep looking until you find someone that you click with they have customized online therapy they do offer videos but they also offer phone and live chat sessions so you don't even have to be seen you can only be heard what are you waiting for go to betterhelp that's h-e-l-p.com slash stages and for our cast members you get 10 percent off your first month at betterhelp.com slash stages go 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 find your healing go find your happy stages podcast is sponsored by better help that's h-e-l-p thanks for listening everyone if you loved this episode or any of our episodes please follow subscribe and share on all your social media platforms go ahead and give us five stars and a review that helps us a lot you can always find us at stagespodcast.net thank you to allison arns our booking agent brock grenfeld our sound engineer noah kaiserman and garrett healy for our original music and tina wargo our social media manager stages podcast is produced and edited by me mary lee fairbanks and stephanie j block and thank you to all of you our cast members for listening we'll see you real soon